I wrote in my new book, Heart of the City, that this is going to be the most important boulevard in the United States probably rivaling the boulevards of Paris. Uptown is undergoing a transformation, and with Metro Rapid Service along Post Oak Boulevard on its way, expert urban planner and author Alexander Garvin says it has all the elements to keep thriving. The next stop. The next stop. The next stop. Metro's podcast. I'm Laura Whitley. In this edition of The Next Stop, what makes a healthy and vibrant downtown? That is the question our guest, Alexander Garvin, has spent years studying and addresses in his most recent book, Heart of the City. We caught up with him while he was in town on a recent visit. Mr. Garvin, you're in town from New York uh, to speak about your book and your studies and visiting with him today in one of the hearts of our city in downtown Houston. Mr. Garvin, thank you for being with me today. I'm so pleased to be with you. I think it's important for people to understand that the downtown, the heart of the city, is the economic engine that drives the city. This is where we have the repository of knowledge and culture and create new technologies and new businesses uh, and new enterprises of various sorts. And it is increasingly the most important part of the city. For example, in Philadelphia, the downtown covers 6% of the territory of the city, but produces 44% of the jobs. Nearly half. That's right. That's a huge production and about a third of the taxes. And when we're talking about downtown, one of the things I uh, picked up on uh, reviewing uh, the beginning of your book, Heart of the City, is that what the definition of downtown means. Well, the definition of downtown has been changing, and that's why I wrote the book. For most of my childhood, Downtowns were single-function business districts which went to sleep at 6 o'clock on Friday afternoon and reawakened at 6 o'clock on Monday morning. Not anymore. The thriving downtowns are now high-density, mixed-use concentrations of everything. Institutions and businesses and residences. I walked around Houston uh, this afternoon and they're converting, as they are in every successful downtown, old office buildings into new condominiums. We are developing a residential population in our downtowns that is changing the character of those downtowns. You have to have people that live here and stay beyond your normal business hours. Yes, and to give you an idea, the downtowns that are struggling don't have that population. Downtown Detroit, A city, and I'm now talking only about the downtown, a city which had a population of a million nine in 1950. Today is somewhere between 750 and 800,000 people. So the downtown emptied as all those people left. 5,000 people now live in downtown Detroit. 61,000 people live in uptown Houston. That's a big difference. And uptown Houston is thriving. There's construction everywhere. Detroit is struggling. And we have essentially three trajectories of downtowns. Those downtowns that never stop growing. 
Houston is an example of that. Then we have the downtowns that are struggling, like Detroit, Bridgeport, St. Louis, and finally we have the downtowns that are resurgent. For most of my childhood and early adulthood, Lower Manhattan was losing its job base. After 9-11, we thought that Lower Manhattan might never reappear. In fact, today, although it has lost one quarter of its office space, there are 9,000 more private sector jobs than there were 25 years ago. And the reason is we're using less space per worker. In 1950, rather 1970, it was 500 square feet per worker, today it's 150. So what's happening is that the businesses are moving out of the obsolete Class B office space into more expensive but smaller amounts of Class A office space and the empty buildings they're leaving behind are being purchased by developers that are turning them into apartment buildings and hotels. And that's happening in downtown Houston and in lower Manhattan and in downtown Los Angeles. As well. And, 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 what, and so you talk about the population, about the need to have manufacturing and goods produced. No. Business. Manufacturing is something that is disappearing from our downtowns. We are a deindustrializing country. Right. And in fact, if you look at where there were lofts and manufacturing plants and warehouses in our older cities, they're gone. If you go to Printers Row in Chicago, for example, that used to be a thriving industrial area. Uh, not anymore. It's been converted. It's now a residential neighborhood. And we have the same thing that happened even earlier in New York and Soho, that is south of Houston Street. These were abandoned lofts that artists moved into and turned them into illegal housing. And that was so appealing to people that boutiques moved in and wealthier people began to buy out the artists. Soho is no longer an artist community. It is now a thriving tourist and residential neighborhood but the manufacturing is gone. Right, and I misspoke when I said manufacturing. I mean so more so producing some type of, of commerce, correct? Yes, right? uh -huh. it's trade we're talking trade. about. Mm -hmm. It's uh, all kinds of businesses. We now have a different kind of work environment. I was walking on Main Street today in Houston and I saw yet another WeWork. <laughs> uh, I saw last Monday a WeWork in downtown Phoenix. Yes. Uh, the next day in downtown uh, San Francisco. Uh, we now have open floor plates and startup companies there. They are producing ideas and businesses, uh, but they are not manufacturing. Right, right. There's innovation that's yes. going on. Yes. And that's why I say the heart of the city matters. That is what brings life to the city and provides the jobs and the taxes that pay for everything. So as you were walking down uh, Main Street today in, in downtown Houston, I'm sure you noticed uh, the Metro Rail, Light Rail train. Yes. So what role does transit play in, in a thriving downtown? It's essential. If you don't have a functional transit system, you cannot service everything. And more important, it is what brings a sufficient mass of customers downtown. 
you need to have enough people to support the restaurants and the hotels and the stores and the daily life and the museums and the institutions. Without the mass transit, you don't get that concentration of customers. The best example in the country is Denver, Colorado. I was just going to ask you about Denver. Let's talk a bit about that. Denver did something remarkable. Um, the mayor of Denver in uh, about 2002, 2003, persuaded the metropolitan counties, all of them, to approve a 0.4 cent sales tax to create a light rail system that comes from all directions downtown and from the airport and ends on 16th Street. 16th Street had been for, at that point, for more than 20 years a pedestrianized boulevard with a free bus that went up and down. So people could drive to their garage, get out, get on the free bus and get to their office or at lunchtime leave their office take the free bus which ran every 90 seconds to a restaurant or in the evening at happy hour to meet at the date. Mm -hmm. uh, the result is that there are now 200,000 more people uh, who work downtown in Denver than were there before, including residents. Uh, that's a remarkable achievement. Without the light rail and the free bus, it wouldn't exist. Absolutely. And you also mentioned when you were in Uptown uh, Houston today, another downtown right. uh, of Houston, that there uh, was construction going on. And a, a big part of that is the installation of the dedicated bus lanes for the bus rapid transit. Um, how do you think that will uh, enhance that, that area? First of all, the area is thriving. It is one of the most prosperous downtowns. It's number 17 in the country at the moment. I wrote in my new book, Heart of the City, that this is going to be the most important boulevard in the United States, probably rivaling the boulevards of Paris. And the reason is they are transforming the public realm. They widened the street to 136 feet. They widened the sidewalks from four feet to 12 feet. Uh, they will have six lanes of newly planted uh, cathedral light uh, um, live oak trees. So it will be shaded. You'll be able to travel on the bus that goes up and down in the center in a separate lane under a canopy of trees. And you'll be able to do the same sort of thing on Post Oak Boulevard that people in Denver are doing on 16th Street, on a much wider street, uh, a much more uh, pleasant environment in terms of the live oak and the kinds of stores. Uh, the Galleria attracts people from around the world. Uh, there are plenty of tourists in uh, uptown Houston. They come from Mexico and other parts of South and Central America to do their shopping at the Galleria. And the transit investments also help aid not only the residents uh, and the people that work, live and work in these downtown uh, cores, but also the tourists. I Absolutely. Mean, that's an economic driver as well. It's a major driver now in our economy. There are whole cities, and I don't mean only Las Vegas and Orlando. 
New York, Chicago, San Francisco have huge numbers of tourists who go there. They spend money and they provide jobs for people who work in the restaurants, who work in the hotels. Everybody forgets that. This isn't only for wealthy people. This is for the entire population. And it, it may be concentrated downtown. They may live in the suburbs or in the inner ring. But it all is possible because you have a high-density, mixed-use downtown. When it comes to the transit uh, investments, there are some people that, that do not use the public transit, will never get on the train or the bus. But is it still beneficial to them? Well, if other people weren't using the transit, they would be in their cars and you'd have a traffic jam. <laughs> but leaving that aside, uh, I wrote uh, a phrase in the next to last chapter of the book about a project in New York. And the phrase I used was, um, build it so they can come. Mm -hmm. And the reason I said that is, everybody talks about the bridge or the highway to nowhere. Well, we had two substantial rail yards behind Pennsylvania Station that people had been trying to use for development without relocation because there were no people living there or working there. The trains went by right. every three or four minutes. The first project I could find of redeveloping it was 1929, and I found dozens of them. When I was involved in planning to bring the Olympics to New York in 2012, and we lost to London, as you know, we were going to have an Olympic Stadium there, an Olympic Square, and I couldn't get the half million people a day to that part of Manhattan. And I suggested we extend the number seven subway line, approximately a mile. Today, that area is thriving. This is the beginnings of a whole extension of Midtown Manhattan from 8th Avenue all the way to the Hudson River. And it is an economic engine for the city. And as Without the subway system, that would not happen. It, it would not exist. It no. would not be there. Now, the dedicated bus lanes that are being installed in, in, in Uptown are um, new for Houston. Uh, we haven't had uh, bus rapid transit prior to this people here were familiar with light rail. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you've seen bus rapid transit function and work in other cities? Well, bus rapid transit works better or worse depending on how it's operated. Mm -hmm. um, usually, bus rapid transit has a dedicated lane. Uh, it's going to change the city. That, as I said before, is going to become the greatest boulevard in this country by, 19, by 2030, uh, because everything is being built along it. There are new apartment houses everywhere, a block or two away from Post Oak Boulevard and on Post Oak Boulevard. There are new office buildings, new stores. You have one and two story retail places, which will become unperforming assets within a year when the bus starts running. The owners of those properties will tear them down and build multi-story buildings, mixed use, with retail on the ground floor, hotels, office buildings, and offices. I saw, I don't remember the name, one of those free 
empty floor office mm -hmm. space advertising already uh, <laughs> on Post Oak Boulevard. It wasn't there when I was here a year and a half ago. What lessons can be taken away from these successes that you see? If we invest in the public realm, in what you and I use every day, what belongs to us, the streets, the squares, the parks, we can make a much more livable city, a city which accepts people of every age, ethnicity, income, uh, and provides room for them to coexist with their fellow citizens. If we have no public realm, you have a traffic jam. Uh, I was uh, last week in Las Vegas. The strip in Las Vegas can't be crossed. The traffic is so intense. Right. There are bridges, bridges every half mile. <laughs> you have to walk a lot. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, that's not going to be necessary on Post Oak Boulevard. And it's certainly not necessary uh, on uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago or Fifth Avenue in New York. Sure. And, and you mentioned the public realm. We, we happen to be uh, sitting right across the street from uh, Discovery Green. That, yes. That's an investment that was made, uh, literally a park that was built. Um, that from has, scratch. From scratch. This truly, I mean, and look at all the development now around it. Yesterday, I had dinner in a restaurant in Discovery Green. Uh, I went to the restaurant uh, just after 6 o'clock. The children that were scrambling in the playgrounds, running up and down, in the f playing in the fountains. There must have been dozens of them. It is a place that attracts that. And if you look at who the people were there, every age, every ethnicity, every income, every race, it was amazing. The same thing happened in Dallas, Texas, and I write about it in the heart of the city, when they covered over a small stretch of depressed highway on the edge of downtown Dallas and created Clyde Warren Park. I went two years ago on Black Friday, that's the shopping day mm -hmm. after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I checked into the hotel. I had heard about this from one of my students. I walked astonished. All these people, they're in cafes, they're playing uh, in the playground, they're it was astonishing. And I thought, well, I'm in Dallas. I will go to Neiman Marcus. This is the biggest shopping day of the year. I went to downtown Neiman Marcus. There was nobody there. The Neiman Marcuses were selling in the suburbs. But everybody was downtown, had gone to this great public realm. Uh, they weren't interested in doing shopping downtown when there was this other thing they could do on, for them a holiday. They were enjoying their life. Yes. <laughs> so it sounds like you're saying that a desirable city is really people-centered. Absolutely. And I wrote a book called What Makes a Great City? And my answer to the question is people. The question you then have to ask is how do you attract the people and keep them coming? And get them there. <laughs> yes. And that is what is done in the public realm. With the mass transit system to bring them there, the streets, the squares, and the parks, for them to occupy and do whatever it is that they have come to do. And that's what makes them come to the city and make it a great place. Any closing thoughts? 
I am overwhelmed by what is going on in Houston. Both downtown and Discovery Green is an excellent example, and the light rail system, and uptown. It is an amazing thing that this relatively new city, which is soon to be the third largest in the United States, has these engines that are creating new businesses, new ventures, all kinds of new activities, and accommodating large numbers of immigrants that uh, are pouring into this city the way they pour into New York or Seattle or San Francisco. So that, I guess that brings a question to my mind, though, is, is how, what advice then do you have for the planners and um, the community here in Houston? Because you say I, that you cite many successes, but obviously we have challenges as well. Sure. Um, I define planning as public action that generates a widespread and sustained private market reaction. So if you go to Uptown Houston and you invest in the bus rapid transit system and the new live oaks and the widened sidewalks and you create a place that people want to be, the private market responds by building new apartment houses, new office buildings, by creating new jobs because the people that they want to attract that work in those places need to have a place to go for lunch or at the end of the day uh, or just plain to walk. And therefore, I would recommend to people who are looking at this, look at what your public investment is. If you create a Discovery Green, you are going to generate hotels and office buildings and apartment houses all around it. And that's what makes a city great. Mr. Alexander Garvin, urban planner, educator, author, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Special thanks to Metro Media Specialist Monica Russo for helping produce this episode. If you want to check out more, you will find them all at ridemetro.org or subscribe at SoundCloud, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. I'm Laura Whitley. Thank you for listening. Until next time, drive less, do more with Metro. Metro.